Everybody like his ass, huh? Tried to cover up and tell the people, go Brandon. But we know what they saying, though. You can hear the chant in every post. Don't nobody want this commie, cause we not in China. Everybody hated Trump, and now they out to catch a body. That's what they get for treating us like we in Squid Games. Green light, mandate, like he's insane. These times, people waking up to anything. Go Brandon, but we all know what the saying mean. It's October 20th, 2021. Welcome to Canadian Patriot Radio, my friends. I am your host, Critch. What are they saying? <laughs> Let's go, Brandon? Hell no. Everybody knows they're saying, fuck Joe Biden. <laughs> Okay, my friends, we are going to do a little bit of a different show today. We are actually going to delve into the realm that would normally be considered conspiracy. Uh, I would say within the last few years, we have all learned that it very much isn't. And uh, we're going to take a deep dive into Project Looking Glass. But before we do that, we are going to um, pay attention to the Genetic Non-Disclosure uh, non Act non-discrimination act excuse me in the pre-show i actually uh d just posted this in the telegram room today and it was brought to my attention by a buddy actually locally and uh it's a, actually a, an incredible article written by cbc and you need to hear this so we're going to go through this and then we'll get into um project looking glass all right this article comes to us by way of cbc news and the title reads supreme court of canada upholds genetic non-discrimination law Legislation passed, passed in 2017 without cabinet support due to jur, uh, jurisdictional concerns. This was posted on July 10th, 2020. And this was written by Olivia Stefanovic. Canada's highest court has issued a ruling today upholding a federal law preventing third parties such as employers and insurance companies from gem demanding genetic information from individuals. In a 5-4 decision, the Supreme Court of Canada has decided the Genetic Non-Discrimination Act is a constitutional exercise of federal powers. In a curious twist, the federal government itself argued the legislation falls outside federal jurisdiction. In 2017, liberal backbenchers defied the government to pass the act. Bill S-102, without the support of cabinet, after it was introduced as, as a private member's bill by liberal Senator James Cohen, who is now retired. I think it's unusual to say the least, said Cohen of the government's opposition to the law. The law aims to protect the genetic information of Canadians who otherwise would be forced to take a genetic test or provide the results to employers, for example, or to life insurance companies as a condition of coverage. Jurisdictional conflict. As the bill was going through the House of Commons, then-Justice Minister and Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould argued it crossed into provincial and territorial jurisdiction. Wilson-Raybould sent letters to all the provinces and territorial governments asking for them to weigh in on its constitutionality. The government of Quebec challenged the law on the grounds that it interfered with provincial jurisdiction and referred, to, uh, referred it to the Provincial Court of Appeal. In 2018, that appeal, uh, the, that appeal court unanimously found the legislation unconstitutional because it does not fit within the framework of the criminal law. The Canadian Coalition for Genetic Fairness appealed the decision to the top court. 
Cowan said he consulted with some of the most renowned constitutional experts in the country, including the late Peter Hogg, who he said concluded the law is constitutional. The day after the bill received final approval in the House of Commons, Wilson Raybould announced she wanted to refer the legislation to the country's top court. Current Justice Minister and Attorney uh, General David Lamenti personally voted in favor of the bill before he was in uh, before he was in cabinet, but that has before he was in cabinet, but that has not changed the federal government's position. The le- le- excuse me, the legislation amended the Canadian Labor Code and Canadian Human Rights Act. It introduced the first nationwide penalties against g- genetic discrimination, including a fine of up to one million and or imprisonment for five years. Very key takeaway from this law, my friends. The law include, includes exceptions for medical, pharmaceutical, and scientific purposes. Nobody should be discriminated against because of their DNA, because of their chromosome, chromosomal makeup, said Liberal MP Rob Oliphant of Don Valley West, Ontario, who sponsored the legislation in the House of Commons. Implications could be wide-ranging. Genetic testing has skyrocketed in, pop- skyrocketed in popularity since the human genome was decoded in 2003. Testing is used to predict a patient's risk of getting cancer or hereditary diseases, for example, to design treatments to deliver the best results. It's the key to precision medicine, personalized medicine, Cowan said. Olivent said he and Cowan were encouraged to introduce the legislation by geneticists at Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto who reported that parents were choosing not to have genetic tests done for fear of future repercussions for employment and insurance eligibility. Marcella Day, a senior uh, policy advisor at the Canadian Human Rights Commission, said it is not clear what the implications would have been if the highest court ruled against the act. We're very concerned that this could roll back important human rights protections and leave people in Canada vulnerable to genetic discrimination either immediately or in the future, Day said before the decision. Taking a genetic test that could save your life should not come at the price of of you not being hired or promoted or not being able to adopt a child or travel, not being able to get insurance or access child care. Very, very, very interesting law that has stood through uh, a challenge in our highest court. The Supreme Court of Canada held up the Genetic uh, Non-Discrimination Act, my friends, and you heard what the penalties of breaking this law are. A $1 million fine or five years in jail. This law stands in Canada. Any employer that is requiring you to take any form of genetic test as a, and, and could determine your future employment with that company can fall under this act. Any employer. Let's, let's just think about the ramifications of this. Right now in Canada, companies are acting like it's legal and normal to request rapid antigen tests to maintain your employment. I hope you understand what this means. That is a genetic test. The the liability that is happening right now or the potential liability that is happening with an amazing amount of companies right now. People need to be 
basically shocked back awake because there are potential massive, massive lawsuits that could go through because of this act. And they are winnable, my friends. Very winnable. Anybody that is pushing this could face five years in prison. Any company. Any company. Okay. <clears throat> now that we've got that out of the way, that, that just landed in my lap, like literally when I was setting up to, tonight. So I just wanted to, uh, to, to get it out to you guys because it's incredible. It's incredible that this legislation is right there in the open and nothing's being done. Like people, that's why I'm saying like, we need to slap ourselves in the back of the head and realize how protected we are as Canadians. We are prote protected all the way down to the genetic level against the shit that is happening in this country right now. Okay. So this show is going to be a little bit of a different format. I'm not going to be talking much. We are actually going to listen to about, uh, just, just under an hour of whistleblowers about, uh, <clears throat> in relation to project looking glass. Now, like I was saying earlier, this would have fallen under the conspiracy realm about probably even as early as two years ago. But one thing we do know, uh, that we've learned in the last two years that is basically governments and even companies like, and huge tech technocracy companies like Facebook are using predictive analytics. But where did it all start and what does it show us? You are actually going to be pleasantly surprised to learn that Project Looking Glass actually offers a huge amount of hope to us, my friends. So let's get this show started. We'll be right back and we will get into it. Welcome friends to Canadian Patriot Radio, where conspiracy is not theory and political corruption finds the spotlight. CPR, we are committed to upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom with all thy sons. Command. Welcome back, my friends. Um, without any further further um, 
chatting by me. We're just going to get into this. This is a great introdu introduction to what this program was and uh, everything about it. And uh, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. For those of you that didn't watch this on in the Telegram room, uh, you're going to really like the message that starts to get formulated through this. So let's, uh, let's get to it and uh, we'll listen to this together. All right, so this video is about the secret government project called Looking Glass. And this is a great video for those of, of you out there who don't have a background with this, don't know anything about it, because I have compiled all of the whistleblowers who have mentioned this project into this one video. So you're going to get to see it all at, at, at in a fire hose, and you're going, to just, you're going to get it all at once. It's going to be exactly what you need to get caught up. Um, we're going to look at three different whistleblowers, and we're going to hear parts of their testimony uh, selected and compiled together. So uh, you may not hear everything that these three guys said about Looking Glass, but you're going to get all the major information, all the important stuff, so that after this video you're going to know exactly what the project was about, um, how it started, uh, where it is, um, and what they use it for, and why it's important especially considering what's going on in the world right now. Um, and so, got to bear with me a little bit. I've collected these clips, but I think the audio adjustment level is not perfect on all of them. You may have to adjust your audio as, as some of these clips go in and out um, just slightly. I think they're mostly pretty good, but just be aware of that. Uh, so we're going to start with a man named Bob Lazar. Now, Bob Lazar first became a whistleblower in 1988 where he came out on the news actually and said that he had been a worker at not just Area 51 but a, a base named S4 which was an underground base near Area 51 and here is a testimony of his from 1989 just that uh, one year later uh, about where he mentions Project Looking Glass. Now he didn't have direct uh, experience with that project, but he had seen briefing documents on it, so that's what he mentions here. Could you briefly describe Project Looking Glass and Project Sidekick for us? Project Sidekick was another project going on uh, with Galileo. Galileo was the project that I was involved in. Sidekick dealt with any of the weapon potential of the craft, whether or not the craft had a weapon in it, or could it be used as a weapon, but it had something to do with some sort of particle beam uh, configuration where the gravity generator can be used as a lens to focus focus a weapon of some sort similar to the SDI device we were working on in the uh, the 80s but with the potential of a focusing device using the uh, gravity generator and project looking glass project looking glass dealt with the distortion the fact that there's a time distortion essentially looking back in time and by that I do not mean looking back years ago to see the wagon train days they're looking for distortions that are milliseconds in time and what what that was used for i i don't know but that was uh, just observing the time that the time distortion time dilation phenomena of the craft in operation so there you have it bob lazar in 18, 1989 giving uh the information that he knew about project looking glass was just that it was based on time distortion and so I'm going to now show you another clip. He he doesn't give any more information, but I wanted to show you this clip. It's it's an interview he did with Joe Rogan, and not too many years ago. I don't know if it was in the past two years or something like that. 
but this will let you know that his story has not changed about this project in 30 years, and I think that says something about his credibility. So here's that clip. Again, the, the only thing I could verify was what I had my hands on. Um, there were, you know, there was talk of weapon systems. That there were different projects, Project Galileo, Project Sidekick was supposed to be weapon applications of the craft. Um, Project Looking Glass had to do with time, any effects of time in the craft. Now, I don't think we're not talking about making a time machine like in science fiction, but we're talking about, you know, small distortions, intentional distortions of time and how that can be used, you know, as a uh, not as a well, it was part of a weapon program. How are you informed in this? About These again, this? were just the small briefings that I read. All right, so there he again reaffirms that he was he had access to some briefings at one point during his employment at S4, the base near Area 51, where he saw these documents about Project Looking Glass. And all he knew was that it had to do with time and time distortion. And so that at least is, that is our first whistleblower, and he came out again in the 1980s with this information. Now we're going to go on to a, a different whistleblower. His name is Dan Burrish who also had experience with the project. And so here is a clip of Dan Burrish introducing himself in an interview with Project Camelot, which is, uh, you can look them up to if you get interested in this, but here you go. I'm a microbiologist, a, um, a retired one now, but continuing somewhat the practice involved in a, uh, a very unusual project called Lotus. Um, I am a 20-year retiree from uh, Majestic, first having been brought in in 1986 under the auspices of the Committee of the Majority, um, and uh, specifically working for the Majestic 12 uh, assigned to Project Aquarius. All right, now he's going to actually explain where the project originated from. Okay, so this looking glass technology comes from cylinder seals. Originally, yes. How? Uh, originally, it was a series of instructions for accessing the, the wormholes, which naturally pass in the height of space, which we find ourselves. And from there, they worked on the technology. They built the equipment from the instructions. After building the equipment from the instructions, they began to tweak it and find different things out about it. One of the things that they found is that they could actually use it as a peering portal, like a peering glass, if you will, to see different aspects of not only the future but the past. Are these and Sumerian? Uh, Sumerian? Uh, I would say that they slightly predate Sumerian time frame, but that some of the information which came down from cylinder seals that slightly predated the Sumerian time frame were then recopied in Sumerian seals as well. And An those, those cylinder seals, oh yes, and those cylinder seals, to the best of my knowledge, have all been um, obtained. From Iraq? Some of them from Iraq, yes. Some of them from some of them Egypt? From other, some of them from Egypt, some of them from other countries where they were being stored. And and I really don't want to get my country into too many problems here. And, and you've got, go ahead. For a second, it's, it's... All right, so he explained there that the initial plans for the Project Looking Glass came from 
Sumerian or you know Mesopotamian cylinder seals that had been found um, by various governments and then equipment put together based on those plans. And now here's another clip where he's explaining a little bit about the location of the um, stargates or portals as he calls them related to Project Looking Glass and what has happened to them over, over the time. Um, well, we had looking glass technology um, and uh, uh, portal, actual Stargate technology, in Iraq uh, as late as uh, the start of 2003. And um, a lot of countries don't want us to end, didn't want us to enter Iraq. We did, though, didn't we? Right. But how is it that, in well, other words, it sounds Omar like... just handed his two over. We it's... just told him that we were going to make him rich beyond avarice. And he was a little smarter than uh, Saddam, that's all. And so what he did is he handed them over and says, oh, please, come into my country. He says, look at my, look at my, uh, my equipment to make sure that I'm not making any weapons of mass destruction. Meanwhile, out the back door goes the two that Saddam actually had transferred over to him. Cylinders. Uh, well, uh, equipment. Stargate. Stargate. Activating technology. Portal. Yeah, for them to experiment with. They were experimenting. But if the looking glass technology is the same thing, is, is access as a wormhole, the technology accesses as a wormhole, yes. it also accesses stargates? Well, that's essentially the same thing. I, I, I've been using the term stargate stargates technology as a machine that accesses a wormhole by spreading out the energy, the strange matter, or whatever it is, and I'm not a physicist that spreads it out in a compatible way to either communicate through it or well, passage of information. And that includes also But it occurs, it occurs naturally. Stargates occur naturally. Indeed, they do. All right, so just a little more information there about the Stargate technology, the Project Looking Glass technology. And I just wanted to mention, I'd forgotten earlier, but these interviews, Dan did a few interviews with Kerry Cassidy of Project Camelot. Uh, over a few years, I believe this one was about 2006 is when he did this interview and came out with this information. Um, but, uh, you know, props to Carrie Cassidy. She's been devoting her life to this type of thing for a long time. So I encourage you to look her up if you want more information. One more clip from Dan Burrish. He's going to talk about some of the things they saw as they started using Project Looking Glass and using it for trying to predict future outcomes. So... Let's take a look at that. Uh, the, the numbers that we received before the looking glass was shut down, disbanded, uh, was that there would be a 19% probability with an 85% confidence that the disaster would occur, that there would be a transition from timeline one to timeline two. But that then means that there's an 81% chance that it won't. And so the individuals who want to carry the, the negative, I'm convinced that it's going to occur, are not presenting the facts. The facts are this is the material that we have available that we know. So what you're saying is the Illuminati, to get back to that thread, yes. is basically the side that believes that the transition is going to occur from one timeline to the other. Not only do they believe that it will occur, they want to provoke it. But, but how does it benefit them to believe? All right, so that shows you a little bit, and I realize there that that um, 
you know, there's not a lot of background for what he's saying in this little clip. But I didn't add more here because we're going to see in the next whistleblower, uh, whose name is Bill Wood, he's going to really expound on this timeline idea and the things they saw about a catastrophic future versus a awakening or enlightenment type of future. Uh, and so that's coming, but um, know that it's not going to stay where it is. You're going to learn a lot more about that in just a minute. Now, I wanted you to see that Dan Burrish actually collaborated with a few different researchers because, of course, once he came out with this information, everybody was interested in, in hearing about it. And as he collaborated, a few different artists put together renderings of the looking glass uh, machine, if you will, based on Dan Burrish's testimony. So here is one rendering that someone did in a 3D CAD program of the looking glass machine. Here are some better ones that were done as well uh, with some nice 3D CGI graphics. Uh, and these are just different views of that. And these are on the internet. You can find all these. It's just I've compiled them all here in this video for you. So there you go. And if I remember correctly, he, you know, the, as he told about this thing, this produced and used an argon mist in the middle to, um, and, and somehow used, I think, supercooled liquids uh, in helixes or um, spinning around the, the center of this thing to create the time distortion, the, the distortions that they were able then to hook up to computers to machines and then calculate probabilities of future events based on inputs of decisions and so they would you know set all this up and then run it through the system and see what the outcomes were going to be in an effort to predict future events uh, and that is kind of how that this is explained to have worked had been explained to work so now moving on to the third whistleblower, and, and these are the only whistleblowers I know of uh, that have actually come out and are, you know, credible on this topic. But uh, this third whistleblower's name is Bill Wood, and he again is interviewed by Project Camelot's Carrie Cassidy. She's uh, done a great job with all these people, getting them out in the open. But uh, first, we're going to learn just a little bit about Bill Wood, who he says he is. So you at least see that. Um, basically, uh, my military career was such that uh, I was in the uh, United States uh, Navy from June of 1991 until June of 2001. Um, in that time, I served in a special unit called SEAL Team 9. Um, we were trained uh, primarily to use this as an asset to control and handle Tomahawk missiles, uh, cruise missiles, that were used inside the Persian Gulf region in the Middle East uh, throughout the time frame of 1992 to 2000, to my knowledge. All right, so that's just a little background on who he is, what his you know military experience was. But now he's going to talk about, in this next clip, about how he was contacted by some white hat, white hat ex-military people, uh, a, a secret group, uh, classified, 
who needed his help with Project Looking Glass. So that's what's in this clip. Um, shortly after I began doing that, I was contacted by a group of people um, that were also doing the exact same thing and were much more aware of who I was and what my experience in the military was um, on a top secret level. Very surprised by that. <laughs> um, but I <clears throat> learned very quickly that there's people out there with a huge amount of information that are fighting for the good guys. Okay, so in essence you were contacted by a group of what we call white hats. White hats, um, I call them oath keepers. I see. Um, but essentially uh, they're the patriots that our government would classify as terrorists. Okay. <laughs> But they are ex-military by and large, and some of them are still in the military. I assume a large number are still in the military or the government in the FBI, Secret Service, CIA. Alphabet agency. Anybody, any alphabet agency, there's got to be a percentage of people that are seeing the day-to-day -day and going, this is wrong, we've got to do something. Um, <clears throat> One of the caveats that I do have some personal information uh, that I did get personally involved in um, <coughs> was some information that had to do with uh, the Stargates and Looking Glass, <coughs> and more specifically the 2012 problem with those projects. Um, the, well, I guess, popular opinion of what's out there right now is that the project was shut down um, because uh, there was a problem when we approached 2012. Um, I've heard it described a number of ways, uh, but to my knowledge, the problem is, is that the timelines converge on that point in time. And when you <clears throat> know enough about the Stargate projects and the Looking Glass project to know that um, how string theory works and how the possibility of possibilities works and how making one choice over here doesn't necessarily mean that the other choice uh, couldn't exist at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, but once you get your brain wrapped around this subject, you find out that um, at the end of 2012, uh, an easy way to put it, uh, the choices that we make become less and less consequential to the future. And eventually we're pushed into this bottleneck of time. Uh, no matter which choice we make. And that's important to the people that had access to Looking Glass because they would use Looking Glass knowing the choices that they would make and the future would pop up. Um, the big mistake was coming up with uh, possibility of future. 
And when we started using a computer to say, well, if we make this choice, it's 79% possible that this scenario happens, and 23% are possible or whatever, round numbers, that this scenario would happen. Um, the understanding at the time was that was realistic. However, if you go down the road further and free will continues to exercise itself on this game, um, that 79% possibility sometimes changes very, very fast. But if you look at the situation in a point of time, it seems very realistic that that's the greatest possibility. Um, what happened was people, very smart people, began to figure out that something big was coming up. Something that made it so all the possibilities of all the future scenarios of any choice, <clears throat> any possibility that was fed in and observed through the looking glass inherently ended up in the same future. And no decision, no possibility changed past a certain point. Um, that's the big secret. Okay, so is that certain point 2012? All right, so just to recap what we just saw, Bill expresses here that as he worked on this project and found out what had been done on it and started to get involved with it, he realized and saw that they had been running probabilities into the future for a while with this thing, and they kept finding that after 2012, every possibility that they fed in would always end up at the same event in the future from 2012. So as they would run these different scenarios time and time again, if they went past 2012, they would always converge in an event, uh, some big happening that, that everything then coalesced into, and that no decision that was made prior to that point was going to change anything about that point in time. Now, he doesn't mention what point in time that is. I have thoughts on that that I'm going to share at the end of this video, but uh, just to, sh to kind of recap what he said there. And then next, he's going to talk about how this singularity, this convergence of history that was coming up uh, in the future from when they were using the device. And it, he's talking in about, I think this interview is in about 2009, uh, and he had been working on the project, I think in the very late 90s, is when he said in earlier in this video that I didn't show that he had been working on the project. So let's listen to what he says about how the elites felt the elites in the world got wind of what was going on and how they felt about it. Understanding? It's, it, it well coincides with December 21st, 2012. So at that point, all possibilities lead to the same Rubicon. All possible timelines lead. lead to the same basic set of history in the future. And what is that history to you? Did you know that or did you find that out? That is the big question. That is the big secret. That is what sends everybody that has all of the information that knows everything into a blind panic. <laughs> um, the people that know everything about Looking Glass, that have gotten all the reports and all the information 
the elites of the world probably figured out that that was the end of the game. And nothing could be manipulated beyond that point. So I'm just going to let it continue here. He continues talking about the contracting timelines and what that means. So I may play through a few clips here in a row. They cannot go beyond a certain point. At a certain point, after they're done hearing the computer tell them, this is what's going to happen over and over and over and over again. <coughs> um, all they become focused on is how do we fix it? Why, what is the this that's going to happen? The do you know that? inevitable contraction of the timelines. The but what does that mean for this reality? Do you know that? I don't know that. Um, what I do know is that I was called in and asked to solve this problem, this timeline contraction problem. And I eventually did my due diligence and did all the investigating and basically only had one piece of information, and that was reinforcement. The computer's right. The timelines will contract down to some inevitable thing that you guys won't tell me about, so I can't help you. So, there is an there is an inevitable event. Um, it's been forecast. It's been predicted. It's been fed to us in a slop trough of what they want us to believe will happen. Um, but they don't actually however, know. They don't actually have control over what happens. They only have control over the reaction. And it seems that no matter what they try to do to cause their desired reaction, it's going to have an opposite effect. Now, it's much, much easier for me to explain uh, today what that process is as opposed to back then. Um, but if I had to give it a name, I would say it's the awakening process. It's an evolution of consciousness that cannot, will not, and no matter what decisions or possibilities are injected into the equation, eventually it all resolves down to us all learning the truth and becoming aware of this massive dam of lies that has been built that keep us from knowing massive volume of information that we should otherwise possess. Now I want you to think about this for a minute because what he said is key and when I come full circle on this thing at the end of this video I'm going to talk about it more but just note that he said that this event that all of history is culminating towards he even calls it an awakening and if you are familiar with or have followed at all the Q phenomenon, the QAnon posts on, you know, first 4chan, then now 8chan, uh, then you may be aware of this term, the Great Awakening, which um, I myself and many others can uh, contend is occurring right now, is in progress and is going to get just huge as this year progresses and as time progresses. Um, but that's what he's talking about. It's, it's, and he even said it, you know, 
he talks about it in a couple ways. He talks in one way as if it's an enlightenment, like a, a consciousness raising, but he also says that it's just a revealing of the truth, right? It's, it's understanding that there's been a dam of lies built up over the centuries, and this awakening is people coming to the knowledge of the truth, and that nothing can stop it. And that is what the elites saw when they looked in the Project Looking Glass and used the machine to, pr to run their probabilities. They were, saw this and were so afraid they couldn't, couldn't even believe it. So uh, they couldn't deal with it. So this is what scares them and this is why you know they had been using this project again and again to try to see if there was some way to change that probability, but they couldn't do it. It's not going to change. And Bill is going to explain even more of that as we continue here. Because that they would lose control in essence. That information was a monumental concern when I was in the military about how to prevent this inevitability. Now at first I thought it was end of the world. Now I see end of the world is end of their world. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, note that he said that, you know, that the elites felt like it's the end of the world, but it's really the end of the charade that they've been playing on the people of Earth for centuries. And it's the revealing of truth that has been hidden for my whole lifetime, probably for many lifetimes. So uh, that is what they're seeing through the project there. Now this part that I'm about to play for you is probably the, one of the most significant ones for me as a Christian to hear uh, because he talks about, well, I'll just play it, but he gets into some kind of almost eschatological type of discussion without even mentioning God, but uh, you'll see what he says here. Any attempts to try to go away from this one inevitable conclusion I again see as a new beginning, uh, an end of this reality, the beginning of something that we can't even possibly understand based on the level of our beliefs currently. But when all that information comes flooding out, there's going to be no denying what's true and what's a lie or what's illusion. Um, we won't have the choice to believe that 9-11 happened because of a bunch of terrorists because we'll know exactly what's happened. Mm -hmm. um, basically what we're experiencing right now is <clears throat> two master chess players sitting at the board and one of them looks down at the board and sees that he's in checkmate in seven moves. And he looks across at his opponent, and he knows that his opponent sees it too. So there's no getting out of it. So at this point, the loser can only prolong the game. The game, both players know the game is over. Um, it's only a matter of time before he does this, and then you're forced to do this, and then he's forced to do this, and eventually checkmate. Um, we, as a race, if we could understand that the game is over, that 
based on the rules of the game, the bad guys have already lost, the good guys have already won. Yes, there's moves left on the table, but those moves are being forced by the player that is going to win. Um, the only way the checkmate can't happen is if the player that's winning makes a mistake. Um, but from all of the information that I've gathered, all of the information that's been given, all of the information that's been vetted to me, it seems pretty obvious that the good guy player on the side of the chessboard knows exactly what has to be done to win the game. And so, at this point, any mistake would be all but impossible. All right, now just, you know, to recap that, but to just make a statement and say, man, that to me sounds just like God and Satan. And this is, <laughs> this is the final chess game, according to what he's saying. And they are playing it out, but the he like he says the guy the bad guy satan doesn't have any moves he can make that will change the outcome and that's what this project looking glass is all about is the elites using it to find that find out about that outcome and they're freaking out and they shut down the project cuz they couldn't see anything past that timeline convergence that God is masterminding. God is bringing all things to a logical conclusion, to his, to his will. And so truth will be revealed by, you know, by his power. And these two chess players are battling it out, but there's no move that's going to change the end of the game. And the good guy, as he says, God will win. Uh, I was entrusted in, in getting it down to two possibilities. And um, I've heard both of those possibilities talked about in massive proportions, the good and the bad. Okay, do you want to talk, do you want to, so can you in one sentence say what the good was and the bad was, or, um, or, or are you able to do to, that? To most easily put it to people. I suppose. Um, one scenario is what most people would understand to be ascension, or an evolution of consciousness mm -hmm. that brings us out of the cocoon and turns us into a butterfly. Mm -hmm. uh, timeline two is some kind of major global catastrophe that drives most of us underground and leaves a few of us on top to fend for ourselves. And I just want to interject here too that the elites for years have been planning for this contingency, this disaster. Uh, and you know this by the fact that they've been building underground bases and the rich of the world have been building underground shelter homes. And if you do some research online, you will find this out, that they've been doing it for years because the elites, the money uh, holders, the uh, power controllers of the world, they have had access to this technology uh, because of their power and influence. And they, seeing this disaster on the horizon or the possibility of it, they have 
essentially freaked out and started building underground to shelter themselves from this disaster. This is part of what the underground of the Denver airport is. It is a shelter for the elite of the world in case of a global disaster, a place where they can hide and stay safe while the rest are left to fend for themselves. And that's just how evil those people are. Let's continue on with the next clip here, the last clip of Bill Wood. Can you explain why they have been hedging their bets to such a degree on the negative? Um, it's, it's very simple. Uh, they're insane. <laughs> and beyond insane, okay. they have literally deluded themselves into believing that they can somehow manage to get away with what they're trying to get away with. Um, there is a distinct lack of reality in that thinking. And that's exactly what the elites of the world are, is deluded. And so that is the conclusion of Bill Wood's testimonies. Now that's, you've seen now the three whistleblowers that I'm aware of that have actually come out with Project Looking Glass information. And now you know more about Project Looking Glass than 99.999% of people on this planet. Uh, but I'm going to show you something else because the elite, uh, the majority of the elite are Satanists. Um, and they, in being Satanists, they not only are evil, but they also have a spiritual uh, mandate and it, it is something that is, it is a law of spiritual. And that is that they must reveal their wicked plans in what they do to those to whom they are doing them. They must ask, in a sense, permission to tear your life apart, to keep you in captivity and bondage, to you know rule over you in every conceivable way. So... Uh, I'm going to play one clip more of Dan Burrish uh, talking about that, that a majority of the people that are involved with these projects are Illuminati and Freemasons and Satanists. And then I will show you some other revelations that, the, that Hollywood has actually done of Project Looking Glass. I understand that there's been some kind of adjournment. Um, and now there's a new body, and it's not going to be comprised of the same people as no. the old body. True. Um, so True. why? Why have they changed members? Um, What's the motivation? There's a, uh, a switchover between two secret societies going on. One is handing reins over to the other, and it has been long planned. However, it's not been long known by me, uh, but it's been long, long planned, probably decades. Uh, I'm certain it has to have been for decades. So Majestic is ruled talk. by a secret society, is what you're saying? Well, Majestic has uh, been the most famous, uh, next to probably the Freemasons, secret society of itself. And there are many of the Freemasons who inhabit uh, the Majestic as a, as a consequence of their relationships. Um, the two things are happening at the same time. And so their philosophies then, uh, the philosophies of these associated secret societies like the, the, the Scottish Rite and the York Rite, are then imparted into the secret society known as the Majestic.
Um, so what's the quarrel between... Because you bring who you are to wherever you are. Sure. But what's the quarrel between, say, the Majestic Society or group and the Illuminati? Uh, that is a real good, and it's the, the best question to be asked. Even more importantly than the differences between the J-Rods, because this impacts us, I think, uh, now. Many members of the upper echelon, and I don't mean the hard-working people who work on construction sites, for God's sakes, but many people who are in the upper echelon of the Masonic movement, both York and Scottish Rite, uh, have accepted a philosophy uh, which is Luciferian in context and history. Many of the people who are not directly then involved with the Majestic, who are also associated with that Luciferian philosophy, have rubbed up against each other for decades, probably even longer. So somewhere along the line in history, there was a schism between those individuals who have accepted a Luciferian uh, history, Luciferian philosophy, mixed with other secret society people who have not, that ended up in the majestic and people who have accepted a Luciferian, most like a different uh, denomination, if you will, accepted a Luciferian philosophy, um, who are not associated with the majestic. In other words, we've got dirty coins on both sides. Okay. And when you say a Luciferian now, philosophy... Uh, meaning, meaning a materialistic... Uh, and for lack of a better term, when it comes to the actual European Illuminati, satanic uh, philosophy, where they've given their lives, their families, their sacred honor to the, this satanic thought of uh, creating a world order under the person that they consider the true God, which would be a Luciferian figure. Now, these people have also separating them from the dirty coins in the majestic side. These people have also um, been accepting of the influence of the P-45 rogues who want to justify their own history by our demise of moving from timeline one over to timeline two, the catastrophe. And so the differences between the majestic group, some of which there have been these Luciferians mixed in, and the true Illuminati group, the, and they're not even really true Illuminati. I mean, that's a word that comes back meaning enlightened ones, and these people are not enlightened. They're simply under the influence of a false light. Um, that, that the differences between the two then have raised itself to rancor even though they share much in common with each other 
However, on the majestic side, you have a lot of God-fearing people too. A lot, and, and I'm not talking about specifically here the 12, I'm talking about the line people, the people that we've worked with. Good people, good people to the, to the bone, to the soul, uh, who, who want nothing but, but good for the world. So basically what you're talking about is there seems to be an alliance between, for lack of a better word, the so-called Illuminati group that, that is satanic um, followers uh -huh. um, and the 40, P45s, what you call the P45s, mm -hmm. and the Majestic group, which even though it has some members from the Illuminati, basically is siding with the P-52s. Yeah, I wouldn't really call them some, I would say that they, they, they are Freemasons who have accepted the Luciferian influence. In other words, I personally disagree with it. Mm -hmm. The Luciferian influence, but are still acting as good people. For the benefit of humanity. For the benefit of humanity, exactly. And then there are some that I've interacted with who are involved with the, the so-called true Illuminati in Europe that are God-fearing people too. There's dirty coins and there's polished coins on both sides. All right, I just wanted to share that clip with you guys so that you see kind of the, the weird and complex situation there is within the upper echelons of the... the the secret military and the elites and the Illuminati Freemasons. Uh, it is a complex web and people like to paint a broad brush over that, but it is really complicated and uh, it just shows you kind of what's behind the scenes with all this looking glass stuff. The people that had control of it, you know, and, and what has been done with it. It helps make, I think, some sense of the whole situation. Now back to the looking glass itself. Uh, there and I mentioned before that they have revealed to us the Looking Glass project in Hollywood, whether you know it or not. Now, if you remember back to some of my earlier pictures I showed you of the Looking Glass device that Dan Burrish had helped artists make, like these, then it won't be a surprise to you when you see the movie Contact and you see the device that was presented in that movie to us. It is very similar in many ways, and and so it shows how they reveal things to us. I, I mentioned that the Satanists, they, by a law that exists in the spiritual universe, they must reveal their plans concerning people, and and so they must show us these things in these movies, and they do it in this secret kind of way, this way that seems like that we would dismiss, but they at least are showing it to us so that it's it's almost as if they're asking our permission before they do all these things uh, because they're trying to fulfill that spiritual law in regards to having to divulge their, their evil practices. But Okay, my friends, that's where we're going to stop that clip. And I think... Um, a person needs to reflect on what I consider to be the biggest takeaway of this entire long clip that we just listened to. And I apologize for the audio uh, with the one whistleblower. Um, 
try as I might, I couldn't get the volume. It was just the way it was actually filmed. Uh, his mic must have been muffled. And uh, there was really nothing I could do about it. So my apologies, because I know you guys were probably turning it up and then getting your ears blown off every time Carrie Cassidy would, would come into the... <laughs> every time she would comment, I'd almost throw my headset across the room. <laughs> but anyway, <clears throat> I think the biggest takeaway for from this is the fact that no matter what they tried with Project Looking Glass... Now, this is, this is from the two of them. They, they both basically confirmed this. They couldn't change the outcome, no matter what. And it was described as the Great Awakening. People are going to realize what's happening. They're going to get the whole truth. Um, When you plug it into what's happening right now, if you really want my opinion, the vaccine rollout is just a way to lower the frequency of as many people as they possibly can and, in essence, take them with them. Uh, I think they're they're fully aware that this is an unwinnable game. And... uh, they're going scorched earth. Um, you know, if you really want what, what I, what I want to call this, um, they're going to wipe out as many people as they possibly can, uh, to maybe, maybe, maybe be able to maintain control afterwards. Um, I don't think it's going to work. I think there's probably a, well, we know of, uh, we've talked about it on this show. There is a way to limit the effects of the shots, um, pretty much all but eradicate uh, most of the ingredients in the shots just through natural uh, means uh, you can get rid of the graphene oxide you can get rid of the parasites and you can get rid of the spike proteins uh, through these shots so there is a cure there's probably actually they probably have a cure that is literally probably just a pill that wipes it all out from your system but for us right now uh, it's just it's a bunch of supplements and uh, and uh <clears throat> that you have to take to, to, to knock this stuff out of you. Um, I myself have actually taken and used all the stuff that, uh, uh, is described as, as knocking this stuff out of you. And I can tell you that it's only beneficial. (laughs) Anyway, we're running over the hour here. So as always, whenever we get into this realm, when we ever get into something that, um, uh, the normies would classify as conspiracy, I always kind of give you the take it or leave it. Um, you're fully welcome to just walk away from it and say, oh man, it's too much for me. I, I totally get it. But for me personally, for something about this interview, uh, the how genuine these guys were, um, how they told their stories, to me it all seems legit. Uh, I just don't think you jump through these hoops to say this stuff as, as, a, as a crazy, uh, maybe, you know, to throw people off. I don't know. I personally believe... Um, that Project Looking, Looking Glass is real. I know that they have been running predict, predictive analytics in every way, shape, and form to predict humanity's uh, uh, responses to uh, specific situations. Uh, we know that. Uh, that can actually be proven. Um, and it's been talked about by whistleblowers forever. Forever. The first time I ever heard it was uh, in the book uh, Behold the Pale Horse by uh, William Cooper. Uh, he talked about how they they basically used to shock uh, specific groups or, or areas of society uh, and just to see how they would react. And they learned from that. So they've been doing it even before they had this technology. They were trying to figure out how people would specifically react to certain situations. Um, and you look at the wars. They were doing it, they were doing it endlessly in the wars. They were, they were specifically doing running specific operations to see how people would react to them. 
uh, and and ga- ga- uh, gathering that information so they could do it potentially in the, within their own borders. So, like I said, take it or leave it. I'm not saying that this is, you know, this is gospel that you have to believe it. Me personally, I, I brought it to you because it it just it. it I guess for, for me, I, I've always felt that the truth resonates. And this was one of those clips that really resonated with me. The first time I seen it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I actually had to watch it a few times. And uh, I finally just decided, you know what, I'm taking this to the show. And every listener for themselves can decide whether to take it or leave it. But in the end, what it brings us is hope. Um, if all of this is true, 100% true... There is no way for them to escape the fate that is coming. And now when you think of like, like they mentioned the Q program, what did Q always tell you? Tell you? Uh, nothing can stop what is coming. Uh, God wins. Like these are two, basically two excerpts from a lot of Q posts that were repeated over and over and over and over and over. We have already won. God wins. Nothing can stop what is coming. Now, I don't like to focus too much on Q because I know right now it's got such a black eye. Uh, they like to, they like to... Basically, if you talk about it at all, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist, and they can, they can get most normies that are on their the very like um, the very start of awakening through all of this can easily dismiss any of it when you go down that path. But it's all there. It's all there. So I guess that's where we'll end this one, my friends. Um, as always, thank you for tuning in. And if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook at Canadian Patriot Radio. Um, the message button comes directly to me. So use it for anything, even if you just want to say hello, or if you want to tell me I suck, that works too. <laughs> uh, the e- if you prefer email, the email is Canadian Patriot radio at gmail.com. And, or you can go over to the telegram room, which is my personal favorite. This clip is posted in the telegram room. I, I recommend you go ahead and watch it too. So you can see the, the, the facial, you know, when these guys are telling their stories, you can, you can basically get a read on them and, and see it, see them in person. And, uh, you'll kind of prob. I I'm guessing most of you can read people quite well. That's why you're as awake as you are. And you'll be able to see that these people are genuinely telling you what I consider to be the truth. Um, anyway, the telegram room is t.me backslash Canadian Patriot radio. Now, if you are a website person, there is a website as well. It is Canadian Patriot radio, uh, dot ca <laughs> i have no idea why i gapped out there <laughs> anyway you can look us up on the the website as well and uh any one of those forms will will uh will work to communicate uh with with canadian patriot radio and 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 the community okay my friends until next time in all thy sons command <laughs> joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. 
Until next time, take care.